the Black Swan Media Studios, deep inside a secret underground bunker. We're speaking to freedom-loving patriots from all around the country and the world. Welcome to the Resistance. This is John Crump, live. Hello, everyone out there. Happy Tuesday. I know it's kind of a tragic day with what happened in Texas, but... The information is fluid and we don't know a lot about what's going on. So we're not going to really talk about that today until we have more solid information. As you know, information can change over time, especially when a situation that's going on is very, very fluid as it is now. So we will be talking about other things here and we will be joined by a great american but before we get into that we are sponsored by tusk tusk is a cryptocurrency focused on the firearms market check them out at tusk.network proudly sponsored by tusc the only cryptocurrency designed with the firearms market in mind with three second processing times it's the fastest cryptocurrency on the planet. On the planet. With lower transaction fees than traditional credit cards. It's perfect for your e-commerce needs. For gun guys, buy gun guys. Visit TUSC.network for more information and join the digital revolution. And we are also sponsored by Black Swan Tactical, which is my shop. So check them out at BlackSwanTactical.com and buy a patch or something. Black Swan Tactical, your number one source for 2A streetwear. With shirts, mugs, hats, patches, flags, and more. There's always something to help you rep the 2A community. All proceeds go back into our projects. Viewers and listeners can take an additional 10% off with code CRUMPY. Unapologetically pro-gun, pro-liberty, and pro-freedom gear for the front lines of the culture war. And we have my friend, the one, the only, Flying Rich. How are you doing, Rich? Good, good. I'm, you know, here living the life, probably doing better than I deserve. Yeah, you ready? You ready for the guest of honor today? I'm impressed. I'm like, I, I was just reading up on him. That's a rough story to read. Yeah, for the second day of Freedom Week, we want to introduce to you the American hero himself, Stephen Williford. How are you doing, Stephen? Oh, I've been better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tough day, but, you know, we don't really know. We don't have a lot of details of what's going on. Um, Just to to some people asking, there was a a elementary school uh, event that happened in Texas. So uh, we don't really know a lot. So let's wait until we know more to talk about that what we are here to talk about is you and what you went went through and you're going to be at freedom fest on this coming weekend right on saturday absolutely i am i am looking forward to it going to vegas and um, hanging out at a range and getting a chance to help promote and uh 
endorse some of the good candidates in Nevada area and speak with them, the oh, cool. you know, good candidates that believe like we do. Yeah, and it's going to be a very uh, like a very fun event. Rifle Dynamics, they're great people out there. I've been out there with those guys, and I've been to the range that you're going to, which is a very, very nice range. And the people can come out there and meet you face-to-face. Absolutely. Please come out. I'd love to see you guys. And uh, let's fill the let's fill the range. Yeah. So this is an event in Vegas. Uh, what what day is the range day? It's on Saturday. Oh, cool. Uh, it, it's on Saturday, and it should be really cool. Rifle Dynamics going to be out there. Uh, IV eighty eight eighty eight will also be there. Eric Blanford, oh. who's going to come on tomorrow. So, uh, Steven, have you met Eric? What's that? Have you met Eric, Iraq veteran? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He also works for GOA now. He does. I'm, I'm actually going to Atlanta to do a video with him. Oh, cool. That, uh, so that will be cool. That is very cool. I got to meet up with you guys. I, <laughs> Okay. Uh, okay. Let's talk about what what you went through. You were involved. Uh, there was a tragic event at a church in your hometown, uh, and you responded to it. Uh, what I want you to do is kind of explain what not- what notified you of there that there was something going on. My daughter actually. Uh let me know we were at home and I stayed home from church that day. Normally I would be at church, but I stayed home from church that day because um, I was going to start an on-call. I worked as a uh, maintenance plumber at a hospital and uh, I was going to start my on-call, meaning I would have to carry a pager 24 seven for the next week and uh, be in it a given call anytime, two, three o'clock in the morning, generally when the calls came in, because uh, we had a full staff during the day. So plumbing emergencies that happen at night is the on-call takes care of. And so I stayed home to relax. My oldest daughter was living with us again. uh, And I say that again, because she was engaged to be married and she didn't want to sign a apartment lease that she'd be stuck with when her and her husband got married they could move in together so they she moved back into my house to live with us that morning she was doing dishes and uh, I was relaxing in my bed my wife and the rest of the family we were building a house for my younger daughter and her husband and they were pregnant with my first grandbaby and that was about five miles down the road, and my wife chose to go down there. And so my daughter came running in. She heard the gunshots, and she came into my bedroom and said, Dad, doesn't that sound like gunfire? And your mind kind of tries to make something normal out of something that's very abnormal. And uh, right away I said, it sounds like someone tapping at the window, and I opened up the curtain to look outside, And she said, come into the kitchen, it's louder there. I went into the kitchen, and, you know, I was a a shooting instructor for 
several years and I very much know what gunfire sounds like. I was a competitive shooter. And when I told her, yes, it is gunfire, she ran outside, jumped in her car and drove up the block to find out what was going on. I ran to the safe and I opened up my safe and I grabbed an AR-15 and I grabbed a, a box of ammunition and a magazine and I opened up the magazine, the box of ammunition and grabbed just a handful and started sticking them into a magazine and running for the door. And I called my wife and said, where are you at? She said, I'm at Rachel's house working on taping and floating the walls. I said, stay where you're at. She said, what's going on? I said, there's someone shooting up the church. And she said, don't go over there. And I hung up on her and I ran for the door. And it opened wide, and my daughter came in, and she said, Dad, there's somebody in black tactical gear shooting up the church. Oh, God. So I said, did you call 911? She said, I did. They're aware of it. And at that moment, what scared me most was not the shooter. But what scared me most was the thought that I was going to be running across the street with an AR-15 in my hands and they are coming as fast as they can to a mass shooting at a church. Right. When they see me, what are they going to think? But Sutherland Springs is a little bitty town. We have under 600 total population. And we're so far away from the nearest help, We, I, I couldn't wait. And so as I ran out, out the door... My daughter followed me out the door, and I believe the Holy Spirit took over because I truly believe God was sending me over into that battle. I was thinking more clearly than I ever had in my life. And as I ran out the door, my daughter followed me, and I told her, go back in the house, load me another magazine. I may need it. I just have a handful. Now, in reality, I knew she couldn't. I knew she couldn't run back in the house and load me a magazine and me in a gunfight come running across the street, magazine in hand. But I knew she couldn't, and I knew that it would be over well before she could get anything together. But I, I sent her back in the house to do busy work because I didn't want her to see what was going on. He already had too many targets that I cared deeply about. And I didn't need her for distraction, nor did I need her to see me fail. If she would have seen me fail, she would have run to my side, and he would have been, killed her next. Uh, that, as I, that's just an amazing story. Keep on going, sorry. I, I ran across the street, and halfway across the street, I yelled out. And... Why I would have yelled out, I, I have no idea. That is so counterintuitive to, you know, uh, I gave away my element of surprise. I yelled out, and, and I, I can't think of any other reason other than I truly believe that God called out a demon out of the church because in the church, when I yelled, he had just shot Julie Workman through the breast, and then he shot Chris Workman in the back. And Chris was instantly paralyzed from the waist down. And he was walking over to finish him off when he heard me yell out. 
And when he heard me yell out, apparently he heard me because he dropped his rifle in the church and he came outside the church. Chris said he was looking down the barrel of his pistol and he was going to finish him off. And when he heard me yell out, he stopped what he was doing. He turned and dropped his rifle and came out shooting at me. And right away when I saw him come out of the door, he had on class three body armor and a ballistic style bulletproof helmet. And my worst fears were recognized at that moment. And he started shooting at me. Uh, he hit the truck in front of me, he shattered the windshield of the car behind me. I came up over the hood of the truck using it for cover. And I put six out of six rounds on him. I hit him in the left chest, stopped by the body armor. I hit him in the abdomen, but both stopped by the body armor. He ran for his vehicle, which was sitting in the middle of the street with the driver's side door open and the engine running. And when he turned to his side, I put one between the plates. Any listener doesn't, if you don't know it, class three body armor has a, forward plate and a rear plate and this particular one velcroed across the sides and I was able to put a bullet between the plates in his side and one in his legs in what distance were you when this is going on it was about 20 yards and he was able to get into his vehicle might be a good time to talk about Joe Biden saying we're going to teach police officers to shoot these people in the legs. I, I did shoot him in the legs. He was still able to get into his vehicle. He put two more shots through the side window. And yeah. I put one where I perceived his head to be. I couldn't see it from the reflection from the glass. But I put it where I perceived his head to be. The coroner's report said it split right under the brim of the bulletproof helmet. And he accelerated, turned the corner, and was leaving as fast as that little uh, gray escape, his Ford escape, could go. By the time I got into the middle of the street, he was about 150 yards away and leaving. I put one more shot through the back windshield. It shattered the back windshield. The police say that 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 bullet went through the driver's side seat and hit him just right of the left shoulder blade at about 150 yards. Wow. He topped the hill and kept going. And I'm standing in the middle of the street thinking, this can't end this way. He's getting away. And I looked off to my left, and there was a pickup truck sitting there at the stop sign. Had had witnessed the whole thing. Uh, I didn't even know this guy. Didn't had never seen him before in my life. And I ran over and I tapped on the window and said, that guy just shot up the Baptist church and we need to stop him. Now he's over there on the telephone. <laughs> and I didn't know it at the moment, but he was talking to 911. The next, you know, any sane person in this world would have just put his foot on the floor and left me there at the stop sign and drove on. But this is Texas we're talking about. And he, the next thing I heard was the locks come open and I climbed up into the cab of a truck of a long, tall, good-looking young man, probably in his 30s, white Western hat, a big feather sticking out of his hat, toothpick hanging out of his mouth, 
Longhorn skull tattooed in the middle of his neck and the horns run up underneath his ears. Again, I didn't know his name at the time, but he opened the doors and I got in and we took off and we chased a high rate of speed. Johnny said we were doing over 95 miles per hour and I could guarantee that. And, And we were in hot pursuit. The first thing I did was drop the magazine to see how many rounds I had left in the gun. I had one in the top of the magazine one in the chamber and i got two rounds left and and he still got on class three body armor and i told johnny i said tell them hurry hurry they had put him directly into dispatch and so he was driving with one hand and talking on the phone with the other he was giving them description of every uh road that we passed and telling them where we were and at the at first he got such a a jump on us we didn't even see and we didn't even know if we were still chasing him or not so Uh, if he turned you you, at any of those intersections you you wouldn't have known it yeah if he would have turned turned at any one of them we wouldn't have known it it's a very rural area and those other i guess off streets and whatever they really didn't go a whole lot of anywhere Mm -hmm. but he could have turned at any one of them and we wouldn't have known and finally, we came over a hill and around a curve, and there he was. And I, I said, that's him. Uh, gray SUV, the back windshield shot out. That's him. That's him. Uh, and I looked at, at Johnny again, and I didn't even know Johnny's name at the time. I said, you know, if you catch him, you're going to have to put him off the road. And Johnny just turned and looked at me, and the very first words he said to me were, yep, I already figured that. Johnny's probably thinking, gee, I always wanted to try a pit maneuver. <laughs> yeah. as, as we came up, finally catching him, and I'm I'm becoming well aware that my bullets must have mattered because why would he be slowing down? And I'm thinking this is going to be the moment of truth because, I, again, I only have two rounds. And as we came up behind him, he pulled off into the ditch off to the side of the road to the right. And and he stopped with a road sign right in front of his vehicle. And Johnny pulled up still on the pavement, but behind him and stopped. And I put my rifle out the open passenger side window and I reached down with my left hand and I opened up the door and I was going to push the door open and I was going to use a window and use the door as my shield. And uh, before my foot ever hit the ground, he accelerated. He hit the sign in front of him. It flipped over the vehicle. He went right back up on the pavement. And uh, I barely got my foot in the door before Johnny gunned it and took off after him again. I got to say good kudos to Johnny. Uh, he knew the situation. He knew that I only had two rounds left. Um, so we chased him another three quarters of a mile. This time he swerved off to the left-hand side, uh, through a fence and about 50 yards out into a field. And Johnny pulled up still on the pavement and stopped. And I told Johnny, I said, just get down below the dash, stay out of gunfire, you know, just stay below the dash. And I got out this time and I put my rifle over the hood of the truck and Johnny got out doing whatever millennial in this world would do. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> he 
Johnny got out videoing. Oh, I couldn't believe he was doing that, but okay. Um, it took the police five to seven more minutes. They were five to seven minutes behind me. Five five to seven minutes is an eternity. My community didn't have another five to seven minutes. And I'm not trying to badmouth the police because I want to say up front, police were running as fast as they could. They were running hot. Coming to a mass shooting to risk their life for people they didn't even know. I can't say enough about our our men and women in blue. Uh, They're absolute heroes. But Chris Bird wrote a book one time, and the subtitle of the book said, when seconds count, police are only minutes away. Mm -hmm. My community didn't have another five to seven minutes. And it turned out, you know, I was, I said there five to seven minutes. And uh, finally, I, and I even yelled out one time, where are the police? And then I heard a voice off to my left said, driver, get out of your vehicle with your hands up on a PA system. And I looked up the road to my left and there was an officer there about another 50 yards away from me. <clears throat> standing behind the door of his police cruiser with a gun in his right hand and a microphone in his left hand. He keyed the mic again. He said, driver, get out of the vehicle with your hands up. Any of your listeners listening to this, I'm going to say that if you're ever in this situation and the police show up, that officer wants to go home to his family. Please comply. He doesn't know you. So I laid the rifle on the hood of the truck and I started coming back to the back of the truck. I wanted him to know I was not the threat. I'm walking to the back of the truck and he looked at me and made eye contact and he keyed the mic again and he said, not you. (laughs) So I kind of nodded. I ran to the front of the truck and I picked up my AR-15 and I held it still pointed at the door of the vehicle until another five or 10 minutes rolled by and other officers began to show up. And this time they were pulling out AR 15s out of their vehicles. And I'm like, so the first cop that came up, all he had was a pistol. All he had on him was a pistol. And he was a hundred yards from the shooter and I with a pistol and I was 50 yards from the shooter with a rifle. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say I still, even with two rounds, had a tactical advantage over him. Sure. And finally, more officers showed up. They pulled out their rifles. And this time, I'm like, no, I am done this time. And I pulled it off the hood of the truck. And I walked to the back of the truck. And I slid it up on the toolbox of the truck. And I walked back by the tailgate. And now I'm trying to hold on to to the side of the truck and get my feet into the shade. I didn't take time to put shoes on. And people said, really? You didn't put your shoes on. And I said, no, I didn't. And I said, you're lucky I had pants on. This would be a different story altogether. So November 5th, 2017, it was 90 degrees here in Texas. And my feet started smoking. The adrenaline was gone and my feet started smoking. So I was trying to get my feet into the shade. And I stayed there another, at the crash, 
out there at the truck for another probably 30 minutes wondering what the police were waiting for. You know, I'm, I'm out there all by myself. Johnny had even made it back to the police line. I'm standing there by myself, and I'm trying, just trying to figure out, are they waiting for him to bleed to death? I don't have a problem with it if that's what they're waiting for, but I'd sure like to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So nobody I, approached you? Nobody? No, no. They stayed at the police line about 50 yards away. Finally, I decided I'm going to make a dash back to the police line. And when I started to make my run, and if you see this old fat guy running, there's something serious going on. <laughs> I started to make my run, and, and they, they started yelling, oh, stay where you are, stay where you are. We'll bring up a police cruiser. And so they brought a police cruiser up for me to kind of kneel down beside and make my way back to the use for cover to make my way back to the police line. And then I figured out what they were waiting for. One of the officers just two days prior had his birthday and he got a drone for his birthday. And uh, when they figured out that the shooter was there in the middle of the field and not nothing going on, they sent him back to get his drone so that he could fly it over and see what was going on before they approached the vehicle. It's probably a smart idea, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that was, you know, the best idea possible. Turned out the shooter, uh, because he was being chased and because he was shot multiple times, he called his father and his wife. Police say he called his father and his wife. They were together. And he told them that I've done something horrible. And I've been shot multiple times. I'm not going to make it. And he turned the gun on himself and killed himself. Wow. Did they ever find out why he did did what he did? Well, he hated Christians for one. Wow. Just the week before, he had gone to the fall festival at the church. And uh, had some outbursts and stuff. His wife... His wife's family, his mother and father-in-law and his brother-in-law went to that church. And his wife's grandmother went to that church also. And that day, his mother and father-in-law and brother-in-law weren't there at the church. But he did kill his wife's grandmother. Oh, my God. Oh, gosh. Uh, He was intent on killing as many people as he could. He went to First Baptist Church in Lavernia. They have him on video. Before he went to Sutherland Springs, he went to First Baptist Church in Lavernia. And they believed that he had a visual deterrent, that somebody had a gun there, and he decided better than to start it there. So he had planned on going to multiple churches, is, is what you're saying. Well, we don't know what his plans were or anything, but the yeah. speculation is, is that he was going to start it in Lavernia. And then when police were responding to Lavernia, he was going to go to Sutherland, Sutherland Springs. Mm-hmm. Now, this was November 2017. Was there open carry at that time in Texas? Uh, yes, there was open carry. There's con- It wasn't constitutional carry, but it was mm-hmm. uh, permitted carry at the time. Mm-hmm. And yes, you could carry at a church. But... 
I don't believe in coincidences. I really don't. The four people, the four men that normally carried at that church, two of them were late that day. Oh, wow. It it was when the time change mm-hmm. occurred. And one of them, a Vietnam veteran, normally carried, and he decided he was going to feed his cattle because before he went to church, because the pastor was in Oklahoma City. He was the fourth guy that carried, the pastor was. And he was in Oklahoma City taking a black powder training course so he could offer black powder shooting to the kids for summer camp. Mm Mm-hmm. So he could be an instructor. So he was in Oklahoma City. He normally carried. Rod and one other guy um, were late. And the last one had sent his pistol with his wife because she went on a road trip. And he didn't want her without a gun. Wow. I, I don't believe in coincidences, and I don't know why that happened the way it did. It's almost like Satan said, today's the day. And God said, but you forgot about my servant, Stephen. Wow. I mean, that, I mean, that is, that is, that is terrible. And it, and the very, the very hospital that I worked for, that I was going to be on call was one of the two level one trauma centers in San Antonio. And on that Sunday, for the very first time on a Sunday, they were having an active shooter drill. Oh, jeez. And all the nurses and doctors complaining, why are we having a drill on this day when we could be at church worshiping and with our families? Why are you having an active shooter drill on a Sunday? But because they were having an active shooter drill, they were able to get all ORs up and running because they were all hands on deck. They were able wow. to get all 20 ORs up and running before the first shooting victim showed up. <clears throat> wow. Uh, I mean, that's... So just to clarify, the church where the shooting happened is where all of the people that would have normally been armed weren't? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it... it so how many rounds did you actually fire? I fired six rounds. I had eight and and I grabbed eight. And you know, after it was over the the sheriff's department said, uh, how many rounds did you shoot? I, said, I have no clue. They said, How many rounds did you have? I said, pointed to it. I said, There's the box of ammunition. It was a hundred round box of ammunition. I said, there's a 100-round box of ammunition. I had two rounds left in my rifle. Count up, see what's left, and, and do the math yourself. Well, it turned out I had put eight rounds in the rifle. I fired six of the eight. And you, you, got, you got hits on all six. I got hits on all six. And I, I truly believe. And one of them, I had a Neotech, which no magnification, just a red dot sight. I hit him going away at 150 yards moving, me freestanding in the middle of the street. And I truly believe I'm good, but I'm not that good. I I believe that the hand of God was actually on me at that moment. To be able to hit him in the chest and in the abdomen with him shooting at me, and then to put one in his side, one of his legs, one across his forehead, 
and then 150 yards away to put one through the back windshield that hit him just right of the left shoulder blade is pretty darn good. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that 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 is amazing, and we're so glad that you were able to do what you did. Uh, you probably pre- prevented a lot of other people from suffering that day. I'm going to tell you, I don't believe in mandatory training for carrying. I believe it's a constitutional right. I believe you have the right to carry a gun. But I will say that if you don't train in this sort of a situation, you will not react. Do you think it was like more muscle memory or? I, I shot on a church shooting team for several years. We called ourselves the sinners. We practiced and we went and we competed together. There were five of us sinners. And we used that to let everybody know so we could witness to people. One of our sinners was a former army ranger and a San Antonio police officer. And we would practice different scenarios and play games in between competition to to be better shooters when we were in competition. And he trained me what he learned about, for three weeks, we trained on how to shoot around body armor. Oh, wow. Why would a plumber need to know how to shoot around body armor? I, I, I truly, again, I can't stress this enough. I do not believe in, in coincidences. I believe God called me. I believe God trained me to shoot around body armor knowing that this would be the case at some point. And God called me for that moment. I believe that those four men that normally carried in that church with their pistols didn't have the training that I did. And that's why they weren't there at that moment because they may have gotten killed too. Mm. That's not an arrogant statement. In fact, it's just absolutely the opposite. I believe God's hand was on me. For whatever that that is amazing that is amazing so i I was amazed when you're telling the story and i i I read it just before the show that you recognized you had body armor on and you're aiming for between the plates i mean that that seems to me something like as like i'd be watching the video and i'd be armchair quarterbacking with buddies it's like oh look he's got body armor but there's a gap no side plate you know, to, for you to pick that up, that's that's pretty sharp. Well, that's what I trained. You know, I saw that yeah. officer a few months after the training, or after the shooting, rather, and that officer came up and said, I can't believe you hit him two out of the three spots. He, he trained me. What he trained me was is to hit him in the body armor, the feel it, look mm-hmm. for your pants, put one in his side, one in his hips, and one in his legs. Yep, yep. He said, you hit him two out of the three spots I told you. He said, mm-hmm. how did you do that? I said, because that's what you trained me. He, <laughs> said, he said, but police officers don't do that, especially not under fire, being shot at. I said, yeah. well, that's what you told me. And, and yes, that was in my mind. One in the side, one in the hips, one in the legs. I got him in the side, and I got him in the hips, or in the legs, rather. Not the hips, but in the legs. And so did, I, did the police take your gun? Did what, what happened afterwards? 
the Texas Rangers took my rifle. Uh, and it took me 11 months to get it back. Wow. <laughs> they said it was locked in a Connex with evidence. And uh, when I got it back, they gave me a little manila envelope with my two spent cartridges <laughs> in and, and my AR-15 back. And I opened up that little envelope and I dropped those rounds out in my hand. And it's like, huh. And the sheriff said, oh, I need those for evidence. And he took them from me. <laughs> you know, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't care. We, if he wanted them for whatever reason, I don't care. I did get my rifle back. The Texas Rangers asked me, why do you even want your rifle back? And I said, well, for one, it's mine. <laughs> and I said, and for two, um, I'm a plumber. And I have my favorite pipe wrench. and It's my go-to pipe wrench. And I know the teeth are good and sharp. And, you know, I can do the work that I want. This rifle is a tool. But it's not just a typical tool. It's a tool I bet my life on. And I and I won. And that's big. Wow. Now, did you have more than one AR-15 or was that your only one? Anyone that has an AR-15 has more than one. That's a just silly asking. <laughs> and the things, the Texas Rangers and um, Sons of Liberty Gunworks custom built me an AR-15 and gave me one to replace it with while they had it in evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you bring that AR around with you, don't you? I'm sorry. You bring that AR around with you, the one that you used, or you have brought it around? Sometimes what? I take it to events. I took it to the Capitol to stress to people that this is not a ugly, nasty, terrible gun. It's just a tool. It's the same kind of gun that the shooter used, uh, you know, but it's a tool that, it's not good nor evil. It depends on the hands that it's in. Yep. There's nothing magical about that rifle, except I built it. I competed with it. I, I shoot and move with it, or used to shoot and move with it. Uh, I used to shoot bowling pins and swing plates and move. And so when I opened up my safe, it was just natural that I grabbed the rifle that I that I trained with, that I competed with. So I, I got a question I, I've been meaning to ask since I heard about the story. Not that I ever planned on, I'd be interviewing you, but you, do you keep loaded mags now? Absolutely, I do. <laughs> I've talked to, I talked to you before about that. Uh, I And, you know, there's no excuse for me not to have, except I had been burglarized two years prior to this. And the burglar got the one gun that I had outside the safe that was loaded. And for Mm -hmm. a couple of months after I was burglarized, my biggest fear, until they caught him, they did catch him. Oh, good. My my biggest fear was coming home to my loaded gun. If he didn't have a gun already. Right, right, right. And he decided to come back to my house to, to burglarize me again. If I came in, I would be facing my own gun. 
And, and feel free to tell me none of my business, but where where was that gun that he got it? It was it was high up in a closet. So it wasn't like it's sitting out there. He had to fish around and no, hmm. no. He he was going through my closets and stuff, and he he wow. found it. In fact, it took me a little while before I realized that I had been burglarized because he just took took certain things. Huh. I think what set me off that I would had been burglarized was. Uh, at the time, he stole my VCR, <laughs> or not the VCR itself, but the little box that hooked up the VCR to the television. He stole that, and my kids wanted to watch a video, and that, <laughs> and that made me realize somebody had been in my house that had stolen that. The week before he burglarized me, he actually burglarized the very same church that the other guy shot up. And, he stole, and he stole the VCR, but he didn't have the box to run the VCR with. <laughs> but that's what made me realize I had been burglarized and I came home and started looking through the house and found out my pistol had been missing and that's when I started unloading all my guns and sticking them in a safe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. got that so I, how soon till did you go back to work I did uh, the the lieutenant governor here in Texas came to me and said, we're going to treat you like you're an officer uh, involved in a shooting. He said, we want you to take some time off work with pay. And I said, well, wait, you, you don't have control of that. I work for a hospital. Uh, you don't have control. You can't just tell the hospital he said, oh, I'm going to visit the CEO of the hospital right after we uh, right after we finish with this conversation. He said, and I think the CEO of the hospital will agree with me. And he said, uh, if not, the state of Texas will pay for your time off. He said, but you're going to you're going to have paid leave. And. uh so the hospital, this was November 5th, and the hospital contacted me and told me I had until January 2nd. Oh, wow. To work. They said they didn't desire me at work until January 2nd. And uh, I told the hospital I couldn't stay out of work that long. That I, I gave it three weeks, and I had to get back to some sort of normal. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I had to had to get you know and make no mistake if anything like this ever happens to your old normal's gone you're gonna have sure. to get a new normal uh and I really loved my old normal, but it went away and mm-hmm. so after three weeks I came back to the hospital and I'm gonna tell you that was the most uncomfortable thing people that I had worked with and that I felt like were my friends at work and stuff would intentionally turn down a hallway or something before I got to them so they wouldn't have to talk to me. Really? Why was that? Why would that be? I don't think they knew what to say. Huh? Oh yeah. I mean, I can kind of see that. Uh, They, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to treat me. All right, hmm. wow. 
And so and the, did you? The director of the hospital offered to send me to a um, a uh, outpatient facility to be maintenance there for a while. She said, "We'll just send you off, and you can you can work there for a while, and then come back later." And I said, "You know, it isn't going to make any difference. You, you're just kicking the can down the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, said, I just need to I just need to go back to work." I just need to go back to work. Let's just pull the Band-Aid off of it. Let's just run with it until things start settling down. And I I didn't know that this was going to change my life in so many ways. Yeah. Now you are working for GOA, but you first met the GOA people at Lobby Day in Virginia, I believe. I did. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. I, I was a keynote speaker at Lobbying Day in Virginia where there was, and I don't care what the press says, I've been to a concert with 70,000 people before. This was bigger. Yeah. I, was, I, I John was there. Was there. I, I was there. They were, they were down the streets and around the corners and it was filled. And, I, I, and I'm going to tell you, you know, there were no one at the Capitol, on the Capitol grounds that had guns. But once you left the Capitol grounds and walked out in the streets, everybody had at least one. Most of them had a rifle and a pistol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet there were over 100,000 guns in that crowd. <laughs> after, and after it was done, I saw these redneck gun owners running down the street with their pickup trucks, stopping at the trash cans, pulling the trash bags out of the city trash cans, throwing them on their pickup truck and sweeping the streets clean and putting a new trash bag in the, the city trash cans. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was definitely it was definitely cl- a cleaner after that. Yeah, I remember... I to be a redneck gun owner. <laughs> yeah, I remember talking to you before Lobby Day, um, shortly after everything happened, and... I was talking to like Eric Pratt and all those guys. I was like, it's like Steven's the real deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I never asked to be the real deal, but I'm, I'm going to say that this whole country is full of a whole bunch of people that are just like me. And, and they're just like me. They would answer the call just like I did. Uh, the difference is, is is that the call came out one day. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm going to tell you guys that go out there and shoot on the range and, and, you know, shooting and competition and just shooting in general. I, I, I call it golfing, but for men. <laughs> there, there you go. And you're, well, there, you're, there's a saying a golf course is a horrible waste of a range. Exactly. Yes. That was David Grossman said that in his book. Yeah. Now you're working for GOA. What are you doing for GOA? What do I do for GOA? Well, I I go speak. I go speak at events like the the Freedom Rally that we're going to in Vegas. I uh I go to speak with politicians. Or should I say I speak with statesmen? Because there's a difference between a politician and a statesman. A uh, politician's worried about his next election, 
a statesman Indeed. worried about the next generation. Mm-hmm. So I go speak with statesmen and I, I tell them my story and how important it is to preserve our Second Amendment rights. I also have a great opportunity. GOA has afforded me to go to um, manufacturing plants and stuff and and talk to gun manufacturing plants and stuff and encourage them, encourage the people that work for them. I just recently was at Savannah, Georgia at Daniel Defense and met Marty and Cindy Daniel. What a treat that was. What a treat that was. They are genuine, cool people. Yeah. Um, Freedom Fest, um, the Freedom Rally, the 2A Freedom Rally is going to be held at the Pro Gun Club in Vegas on May 28th from 9 to 6 p.m. is being put on by Rifle Dynamics, which is a great company. I've talked to them. Every Everybody who works for Rifle Dynamics are members of GOA, by the way. It's when you, when you get a, a membership, without not when you get a membership, but when you join Rifle, not join, when you go to work for Rifle Dynamics, they buy you a GOA membership. The guest speakers are going to get, going to include Tim Macy, who's the GOA president, Stephen Williford from Barefoot Defender. I love that name, by the way. <laughs> and Eric Blanford, better known as IV8888. Uh, and there's going to be some, uh, candidate speakers there, um, Adam Lexalt, for the, who's running for U.S. Senate, April Becker, who's running for a Congressional District 3, Annie Black, who's running for Congressional District 4, Savros Anthony, who's running for Nevada Lieutenant Governor, uh, uh, then there's Signal Chata, who's running for Nevada Attorney General, and Jacobs DeVille, who's running for Assembly District 37. So I just wanted to get that out there before I forgot. I usually forget <laughs> to do stuff like that. Well, it's well, going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely an honor to meet the men and women that are actually standing, even even the storms and, you know, with days like today, the, the storms come hard. Uh, but today doesn't change anything. Good guns in the hands of good people are never the yep. problem. In fact, they may be the solution but they're never the problem. We as good men and women that go and practice and shoot and maintain and take care of our own guns and buy our own guns and ammunition and stuff, we are the solution. We we outnumber the bad guys. And we have to be out there. We have to be vigilant. And we have to take our country back uh, from evil of any sort. Yeah, we we definitely do. the only The only thing that stops um oh, someone that's what 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 does Dark always say? What? Uh, no, it's what I always said. The only thing that stops evil is good people skilled in violence. Dark stole it from me. Oh, uh, okay. Well, and, and there was a um, a saying, and I'm not sure somebody wrote it on one of my AR-15s that they gave me actually. And it says uh, the only thing needed for evil to prevail. Is good men to do nothing. Nothing. Uh, and and that's a fact. Because, again, we outnumber evil. 
Yep. And if you choose to do nothing, then evil persists. Yeah, th- that is definitely that is definitely true. And, and I encourage people to, you know, they uh, psychologists have studied and stuff and mob mentality and things, and they said, you know, you see someone being abused and beaten or whatever, and the mob or the big crowd will stay back and stand back and let it happen until one person steps up. Mm-hmm. And I challenge people to be that one person when one person stands up and charges in, even though he may be beaten or shot and killed or whatever, other people will follow his lead. And that's what happened in California. Oh, at the, at the church. Yes. That was, that was outrageous. That was absolutely what should have happened. You know, those, those people. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I saw a picture of them holding him down as they had him hog tied. And there was a woman sitting on top of him too. You know, and I thought, (laughs) man, kudos to her. Kudos to her. Oh, heck yeah. Be that one person that makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, we all have to be that one person. And a lot of people don't want to be that one person. But I think there's more people out there that will be that one person to make a difference than we give credit for. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be that one person, but I had to. Yeah, sometimes you're chosen, not the other way around. The situation chooses you, and you don't choose the situation. You, you you can't just let evil destroy innocence without standing up. Yeah, you, that is definitely that is definitely the case. So, so oh, Stephen, did your daughter get the mag loaded? I'm sorry. <laughs> did your daughter get the mag loaded? Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, she did not. Yeah, that was a good excuse that you did use uh, to get her to go back into the house. Well, and and that was it. Again, I truly believe I was thinking more clearly than I ever had. Mm-hmm. And I, I certainly didn't want... My daughter, after it was all said and done, and, and I had realized that she had jumped in her car and ran up the street to see what was going on. And the shooter saw her and she turned around and came home, I was angry at her for running into the fight. Oh, yeah. I chewed her out and and had her in tears. And did she say, but Dad, you did the same thing. (laughs) I walked out of the room feeling justified after chewing her out. And one of of those friends that just bring everything back to you and, and don't let you get away with stuff, he came up, he put his arm around me, he says, now, Go back in there and apologize to your daughter. (laughs) But she ran across the street into gunfire. He said, yeah, I understand. He said, her only problem is she's just too much like her old man. That's what I was about to say. It's like, well, we know who she takes after. He said, go back in and apologize to your daughter. And did you do it? I did. I did. Takes a big man to apologize. I'm proud of my family. 
I'm proud of my family. My other daughter and my wife ran over to the church and helped them comfort people as they were bringing them out of the church. Uh, they comforted a little five-year-old girl that her mother had died on top of her. Oh, Her pregnant mother had died on top of her, and she, tossed, she saw two of her siblings shot and killed. And they brought her to my daughter and said, could you take care of her and, and, until we find out someone, her next of kin? Yeah, uh, some, uh, I usually play, I'll play it anyway. This is what we do every time I get a Super Chat, we play this. And this is from Matt. He says, we we need to get the media to stop glorifying the shooter. Study says that mass coverage causes two to th- three more shootings on average. And we talked about that, about not naming shooters and everything else um, really recently. Yep. Yeah. I, I would like to, and I have contact with several people like Jack Wilson, uh, Pastor David from Seattle, uh, I have several other people that have, get, had, have been involved in uh, active shooters and stuff and taken them out. I have contacts with them, and I would like to, at some point, somehow, put us all in one room as a panel to discuss it. Yeah, because, we, we talked about that a while ago, but something, I don't know, we just, uh, it kind of just fell apart or fell to the wayside. Think- Make that happen if if we ever have the um, I guess if if it's ever get gets decided that it really truly needs to be done. Yeah, I, I think I think we really need to have it done because we talked about that like around lobby day, and I don't know. Uh, I would really like to have that done. So, John, you're from. You're from Virginia, correct? That is correct. So, do you know about Val Evans? Val, Val Evans? No. Val Evans is from Virginia. She was a she's a young mother. She had her two year old daughter home with her. Her her husband was a police officer that worked a night shift, and at ten thirty at night, someone was trying to bang her door in, and she ran and grabbed her father-in-law's old service pistol out of the closet and when she stepped out into the hallway she heard the smashing glass and the guy came in and she said I have a gun go away he charged her she shot him twice and then held him at gunpoint until the police got there wow my my mom when I was a when I was a baby uh Dumped a home invader with her, with her little the Saturday Night Special. Well, what is really crazy is because I interviewed uh, Val and her husband, her mm-hmm. husband being the police officer, and in my interview, I asked her husband, "Have you ever been in a gunfight?" And he said, "No." And I said, "So, how do all, all the other officers treat you when they know <laughs> your wife has been in more gunfights than you have?" If I was him, I'd be like, "Yeah." I just say I trained her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he's got plenty of protection. Oh, exactly. All right. Wow. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, let me tell tell everyone where they can find Rich and me. Then I'm going to give it over to you. Um, you can find Rich at Flying Rich on 
YouTube and MySpace. Rich still has a MySpace, which is probably older than any of us. <laughs> I don't know why he has a MySpace, but I have one friend on MySpace. You can also find him on Instagram at Flying Rich underscore official because Flying Rich was taken. Um, I'm still looking for you to do that collab with Fly Rich and Flying with mm-hmm. Rich, but whatever. Okay, and you can find me also flyingrich.locals.com. You can find me at johncrump.locals.com, Ammo Land, uh, John Crump News. And if you're here watching on John Crump Live, you know where that is. Steven's going to be at 2A Freedom Rally held at the Pro Gun Club in Ve- Pro Gun Club Vegas uh, on Saturday from 9 to 6. You can meet him, Tim Maisie, president of GOA. And Eric Blanford, who will be on the show tomorrow, who's better known as IV8888. There's going to be a lot of candidates. There's going to be giveaways. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can go to, you can email info at goanevada.com for more information. GOA Nevada is the new local chapter of GOA. And with that, I'm going to get over, give it over to Steven to plug whatever he wants to plug or leave us with final words of wisdom. Uh, well, I guess I'm real careful with words of wisdom, except for I can say go out there and train. And don't, don't just train yourself. Train your wife, your children. Train everybody around you. If we don't get back to teaching people how to shoot and be responsible in this world, our sport and our defense is going to go away. Uh, also, you know, and, and here it is. I'm a member of several different life members of several different pro gun groups, but the GOA is who I choose to work for because they are absolutely uncompromising. And, you know, we need this more in this nation right now to bring this country back to the country it is. So, so go to GOA or uh, excuse me, go to gunowners.org and please sign up. Um, yeah, shameless plug here. But, and you can also uh, sign up for a mailing list if you don't have any money to join it. You can just get on our alerts list, which also helps out a lot. But it's only $25 a, a year. So, And how about this? How about if I make everyone a deal? If you go to gunowners.org forward slash block dash one dash media, I'll give you 25% off. Uh-huh. There you go. Crumpy's giving it away. Giving it away. That is that is that is really really paramount, especially in today's world with what's going on and some of the things that Biden administration is trying trying to ban any gun that has over two thousand foot per second velocity and all kinds of stuff like that. It's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yes, it is. Well, thank you so much once again, Stephen. We really appreciate you coming on. You have an open invite anytime that you want. Well, just just call me whenever you want to want to talk. I'm obviously I'm good at talking. Yeah, yeah, and I can even even send you little chats now. (laughs) (laughs) My wife has said I run my mouth way too much all my life. (laughs) Yeah, well, it sounds like your wife and my wife would get along. 
I hear the same thing. All right. Thank you, guys. We'll be back tomorrow with Eric, um, better known as Ivy8088, and he is going to be talking about uh, two-way freedom rally himself because he'll be out there. See you guys.